1: Okay, Ben, I'm doing a little test here. I'm going to turn the shower on, and you just talk, and you just tell me how it sounds. Okay, say something. Hello? Hello? I can't hear you. Huh? Let me try by getting further away from the mic. Okay. Hello? Okay, now I really can't hear you. Oh. Okay, let me turn the shower off. Okay, now I'm talking. Does Can you hear me? Oh, isn't that
2: funny how that works?
1: All right. Now shower on. Now say something. Hello. Hello. I'm having trouble hearing you when I turn <laughs> yeah. the shower. Okay. Your Ben Jarofsky show for <laughs> Thursday, June 16th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke it so much more including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. All right, now uh ben tell me if you hear this over the shower hold on you
0: have to be a good neighbor you have to be a good neighbor uh. otherwise i'm going to be up your butt every day
1: you hear that
2: god oh, uh, yeah you know Dennis? there's ways of uh, adjusting the volume so
1: that you can hear it even through the shower well now the clips are coming in louder than you are so i got to figure something out here all right, you're, all right all right but hey wait I was getting ready to read the reefer ad, but turns out that uh, event's over. So I guess Oh, just read it. anyway. I love the reefer hey, ad. Let me just say this. All
2: you reefer guys out there. Come on. Kick a little money our way. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> damn it. So, stop being so cheap. Or weed. Either one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no, I just, I, I don't, no. I don't.
1: No.
2: Okay. That's for Dennis. Give him the weed. Give the Ben Dresser show the money so we can pay our bills. Okay. The you know, ru- we were, we were pushing the legalization of reefer long before it was fashionable. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts
1: now. It is Thursday, June 16th, and Ben's dancing, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host. Yeah, good luck hearing him in the shower. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarowski.
2: Hello everybody. Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this not me them Thursday. And here's why. Uh apropos of the conversation I'm about to have, our criminal defense attorney April Pereira will be joining us in a little bit. You've probably seen her. She's, you know, become a big TV personality. Uh she covers all the major crime, uh, all the major trials in the country. Knows probably she could comment on Smollett, and she can comment on Kyle Rittenhouse and Heard versus Dap. Yeah. She's an expert in criminal justice. And she's also a big believer in the rights. The rights that defendants have in our country. It's so interesting. Like we have such a conflicted attitude about the rights that defendants have in this country. And to approve my point, I will now uh, offer up State Exhibit A in the form of today's Chicago Tribune. Yes, the front page Chicago Tribune. The contradictions are just embedded Two articles on the front page of the Chicago Tribune. I'm starting to, to uh, come to the conclusion, D, mm-hmm. that I am the only person in the city of Chicago who actually reads the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> you know, I mean, like the reporter, like whoever writes their own story, reads their own story. You know what I'm saying? But I don't think they read the whole thing in conjunction because then they might go, wait a minute, none of this makes sense. Story A contradicts story B. Hmm. Or maybe they do and they don't care. That's more like it. Anyway, uh, part of the front page is dedicated to Tony Preckwinkle, uh, Dennis's favorite Cook County Board president, uh, defending her record on police. <laughs> He's not. Yeah. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, anyway, Tony Preckwinkle, uh, president of the Cook County Board. And I, mean, I got to give her credit. Uh, she was a proponent of uh, decriminalizing uh, reefer a long before. I mean, long before it was fashionable. Back in the day, like 2010, 2011, you asked most uh, elected officials in Chicago about reefer. And they'd be like, <laughs> uh, Could you not ask me that question? They're so afraid of saying something. You know, they all smoked it, but they were afraid of saying, you know, uh, being called soft on crime. Okay. Everybody okay. wants to be law and order all the time.
1: Can you not say anything? Uh, there's weed crumbs on your shirt. Oh. <laughs> that's not true, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, he just made that no, up. Not you. I'm just saying. You know, that's like an interview sometimes with people. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. uh Well, there's a big giant <laughs> chunk of pot on your pants. Uh, Wait, doorbell. It, uh-oh,
2: could be April Prayer. uh Yes, April Prayer has joined us. I'm going to finish my comments because right into April Prayer making her return, her return to the Jarovsky Show. Uh, anyway, so one article uh, is Tony Preckwinkle uh, debating Richard Boykin. And Richard Boykin, Dennis remembers him. He was the opponent of the sugar tax. Uh, he has kind of turned into Dirty Harry. Richard, what's going on with you? Uh, he's become uh, like a real law and order guy. And he's denouncing Tony Preckwinkle, is bending to, and I'm not, uh, I'm just quoting Richard Boykin, our old friend. Quote, Park Winkle was pandering to the George Floyd crowd. What is the George Floyd crowd? George Floyd was a man who was killed at the hands of a Minnesota, a Minnesota police officer put his knee on George Floyd's neck until George Floyd couldn't breathe anymore. And would have gotten away with it, except some woman was filming it. So I don't even know what the George Floyd crowd is. It's like, aren't we all against, aren't we all in the George Floyd crowd? I mean, is there somebody in the country who actually thought that what happened to George Floyd was justified? Why is it bad to be in the George Floyd crowd? Anyway, Boykin running tough on law and order, denouncing Tony Perkwinkle for defunding the police strategies and calling for all defendants pretty much with any gun charge. Throw him in jail. Don't give them bond. Just lock them up. All right? And then on the other side of the tribune, Told my guest April I would send it to her, and I was ne- negligent and did not send it to her. I humbly apologize. But I will now let you see, dear guest, the article in question. So you know, I didn't make it up. Uh, I don't even know if she could see it, but it says, Not Who I Am. And it tells the story of a teenager in Naperville uh, who is just sort of locked up in the system because what? Uh, she was accused of stealing an airbud or AirPods, excuse me. She picked up by mistake. And so her record, it's it's lingering. The charges linger on her record and causing her consternation. And she's very upset about it. Uh, And this is an ongoing investigation by two enterprising reporters, Jody Cohen uh, and Jennifer Smith Richards, to talk about how, like, like what charges against teenagers linger forever and schools act like police. And it's not really fair because sometimes the kids didn't even do the things that they're charged with. So they have rights, too. And we're supposed to feel really bad about that. But at the same time, on the same page of the same newspaper, Richard Boykin is telling us, lock them up. No bail. I don't care if they're guilty. I don't care if they're innocent. Like, are we determined to go through life, Chicago, without ever learning anything? Ever? We're just never going to learn anything? Is that it? We're just going to be, like, just clueless for the rest of our lives? We've been doing lock them up. Since I moved to Chicago, we've been doing lock em up before I moved. I moved to Chicago in 81. We were doing lock em up for 20 years before. Lock em up has never worked cutting crime. I hate to say it. It hasn't. There's been crime in the city of Chicago the whole time. Lock em up just makes you feel good. Lock them up. But if you're the one that's getting locked up, you want your rights. And that's why I'm bringing April prayer on. Because she believes this across the board, criminal defense lawyer extraordinaire, star of TV, uh, court commentator, and uh, well, briefly uh, co-host with Atiba Buchanan last week on WBON. She's broadening out, man. she to be a media superstar. Welcome back, April.
0: Thank you so much. What's going on?
2: One of my favorite songs of all time, 1971, Marvin Gaye. Way way before your time, April. Uh, So, all right, April, you know I'm fired up because we did a pre-show production. I couldn't even get uh, the words out. And um, so I'm just going to calm down and allow you to speak to this. Uh, so just so everybody knows, one of our most popular interviews, a show I did with April about a year or so ago, uh, where she was introducing herself to uh, listeners in Leftyland, uh, And she talked about her slogan, which is uh, she tells all her clients, shut up, lawyer up. Don't answer questions from police. It'll never work to your advantage. Shut up, lawyer up. And law and order crowd denounces that if you didn't do anything wrong, you got nothing to hide. Until they're, they're being locked up by the police. Like Peter Navarro, Donnie Trump's, uh, one of his top aides, who's still crying over the way he was treated by the FBI. Okay, still talking about his rights and his Miranda rights. April, help me out here. Why is it that law and order types like Peter Navarro cry about their Miranda rights when they're mistreated by the FBI But we have a political movement in this country right now that's got Democrats running for cover in which it's sort of like the singular goal is to take away the rights of black people elected uh, uh, arrested on the west and south sides. Help me out with this, April. I'm struggling with this. Go ahead.
0: Well, no, you're not. You understand it quite well. In fact, this is the American way. We do not concern ourselves with any problem until it is on our doorstep. We saw that with COVID. We see that with any any new issue that comes before us. So it's no different with criminal justice. It is not an issue until it is your nephew, your husband, your wife, your daughter who is in cuffs. So it's no different for Republicans or Democrats. It's just simply the American way. We are selfish. We don't care about anybody's rights until ours are affected. And this is what we see with Navarro. And I think it will be very interesting to see how that pans out. I hear that he's demanding that the recordings be released. And my guess is if he's demanding that the recordings be released, and the other side is saying, no, we want a gag order, then there's probably something there. And his rights probably were denied. But it's interesting how it plays out for a, you know, assuming uh, I'm assuming he's wealthy, wealthy, white male, as opposed to my black clients who tell me all the time, hey, I watch your videos. I heard you say don't talk to police. I asked for a lawyer and the cops just kept talking to me. They ignored me or they didn't give me my phone call or I didn't get my phone call until two days later when I got to county. And by that time, they had beat me down and I made a statement. So you understand how it goes. It just, you know, until it's at your doorstep, nobody cares.
2: All right. Uh, And to that point, uh, Miranda, I sent you another article to read. Uh, Poor April comes on the show, gets all these articles I send her, uh, talking about how the Supremes, we have been talking so much, uh, April on this show about how the Supremes are about to eradicate uh, abortion rights uh, in this country. Very soon. I'm sure the ruling uh, will come out. We already, it was leaked a couple of months ago, so we know what's coming. Uh, but I was surprised to learn this. And I guess I wasn't paying attention as closely as I should, April. They're about to, it seems to eradicate Miranda rights, which as long as I can remember watching cop shows on TV. There's Miranda rights. Talk a little bit about explain Miranda and explain what's that issue here.
0: So Miranda rights is what we hear on TV and we ignore. It's what the cop is supposed to read to you saying you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will in all capitals be used against you. You have a right to an attorney dot, dot, dot. And so Miranda B Arizona, I believe is the leading case and yay, yeah, I got that right. And, yeah, you know, I remember some <laughs> things from law school, not many. But it's the leading case in criminal law. That and Terry v. Ohio, which goes to, you know, whether a cop can pass you down and search you or not. Like, those are the two leading case. It's a, it's a leading principle because it's built on your constitutional right against self-incrimination. You have a Fifth Amendment right to say nothing, to not go in and fall on the sword and telling yourself whether. And people miss this point. And probably in lefty land, they they missed this point, too. This isn't just for guilty people. This is for innocent people. You do not have to say your name to a police officer if you don't want to. You do not have to open your mouth. There's this belief that the rules are different if you, quote, haven't done anything or, quote, have nothing to hide. And so this is a huge deal. And like I said, when you sent me the article, I had seen it about an hour before another attorney note know, who knows i do these videos and i and i have a street law curriculum that i do tagged me in a post on facebook and i was like oh my god like how do we let this slip through the cracks how are we not aware of this this is going to radically change everything across the united states in terms of any police stop so yes hopefully states will do the right thing and they will enact some sort of law to protect or to kind of codify the current um, Miranda rights in each state. But in the South, you can hang it up. You get arrested in the South, you ain't got no rights. <laughs> You'll be lucky uh, if you get a trial at all.
2: <laughs> I, 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 I'm not so certain that Chicago is uh, that far behind, and, and the South. And and again, I'll repeat this. Whenever a police officer is arrested and charged with a crime, immediately that police officer, the city of Chicago, the police, has a, a lawyer that will defend and they got good lawyers i mean good criminal defense lawyers they don't play april they go into the court fists flying and the officer has rights constitutionally protected rights and so i'm asking you a question that's kind of quasi-political but how do you think this is going to go down in the country if miranda is thrown out and suddenly, it's not certain what rights anybody has in a confrontation with law author, uh law not law enforcement.
0: Well, I think what will happen is what we're already seeing, you know, you have mayors like Lori Lightfoot making outrageous statements. Like if you're arrested, you're guilty. And honestly, there are a lot of jurors and prospective jurors who this is their understanding based on TV. Oh, they got the bad guy. He's in handcuffs. So therefore he must be the one who did it. So there'll just be this sweeping belief that that is the case. If you are arrested, like I said, to hell with a jury or, or a bench trial, you've done it. And so with there being fewer and fewer protections in terms of the Fifth Amendment right to not incriminate yourself, I think we're going to see courts start chipping even more away at your Fourth Amendment rights, not to be searched unlawfully for your home, not to be searched unlawfully for your car, for your person, for your book bag, for your purse. I think that we've seen a a slow chipping away for decades. And I think now we're going to see big chunks that are taken out of both of the fourth and the fifth amendment. So this is a really, really, really huge deal. And I know that all eyes are on Roe v. Wade as they should be, but there are other issues coming down the pike. And like I mentioned to you before, there's also a case in, and I don't know the name of the case, but it's a Harvard and UNC case yep. that is about to go in front of the Supremes as well, regarding affirmative action in the schools, private colleges and public colleges and whether race can be considered in admissions or not. And so obviously we already know what they're gonna rule on that. And so schools are going to become a lot less diverse as a result. So these are all, there are a number of decisions that are going to be made by this sitting Supreme Court. And I say to anybody who didn't vote in the last few elections, shame on you. Because when we vote for say president or um, these different elected officials, the last thing we think about is judges. And that is the most damage that Trump did. He did a lot of damage, but one of the most damaging things he did was he had the ability to appoint over 100 federal judges to lifetime appointments. Forget about the Supreme Court. Let's just take that off the table. He was able to appoint over, I think it's over 200 judges to lifetime appointments. And so now these are the people you're standing in front of on your serious cases. And these are the things we don't think about when we don't go to the polls or when we say, oh, it doesn't matter who I vote for. Oh, yeah, I voted for him in the last election. No big deal. Yes, no big deal for that person who served four years. But now they've done damage for the next who knows how many decades
2: all right now let me make a confession here and talk about a person i did vote for in the last mayoral election uh, april's already laughing at me uh and uh talk about her recent comments that you already alluded to that that would be mayor Lori lightfoot uh, and part of the reason i voted for mayor Lori lightfoot is that she came to the show uh, that we do at the hideout political talk show and told me absolutely everything I wanted to hear. And she was so smart and sophisticated. She just took a look at me. She like, well, oh, I got this little lefty right where I want him. And she just told me everything about how she was going to be for criminal justice reform, how she was going to be for TIF reform. We're going to spend money on poor neighbors that are rich neighborhoods. Uh, told a few jokes, had me laughing. I'm like, I love this lady.
0: <laughs> I quoted her.
2: April's like, what a dummy. Uh, All right. So April, take it away. Uh, Lori Lightfoot running for reelection is sort of finding her inner Richard Boykin, who's finding his inner dirty Harry. Uh, And they're all keep saying dirty Harry. We realize my younger listeners don't know who the hell dirty Harry is. Just look it up, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Clint Eastwood. Uh, So what's your thoughts when you hear the mayor of the city of Chicago who is uh was at one point a corporate lawyer and I believe she did defense work for uh corporate uh, clients uh saying that defendants are in some cases high profile cases guilty uh until proven innocent.
0: Well she didn't just say high profile. She just basically said if you're charged with a violent crime, you did it. So um my uh, I have so many problems with Lori Lightfoot. And, and, you know, my mother taught me as a child, don't say you hate anybody. But if I could use that word, I would definitely apply it to her. Um, I'm just so disgusted. And I really, I mean, I think that her statements are so egregious that the bar should actually take a look at what she said. I really do think that the ARDC should take a look at what she said. Because to imply that you have no constitutional rights, If you are arrested, just throw away the key and lock you up. That's pretty problematic, especially if she only had the corporate background that you mentioned. I might give her a pass. No, she was a federal former prosecutor who got in trouble then for doing what? Lying to a judge. So. I have no sympathy for Miss Lightfoot. I am appalled and disgusted by what she said because she knows her voice carries weight. She knows that there are people who don't know what their constitutional rights are. She knows that people will read the headline in the Tribune or in the Sun-Times and say, oh, okay, if you're arrested, you must be guilty. And that will poison Form, I mean, uh, future jury panels. And that is my problem. I mean, I think it's appalling. You can stand on your whole tough on crime platform. You and I talked about that at length. You actually enlightened me. That only mean people get elected to. <laughs> office in Chicago as mayor. So I I get it. Tough on crime is fine, but there needs to be some truth in that platform. And I say shame on her because if nobody knows better, she certainly knows better because of her former position and because of the former hot water that she got into for lying to judges in the past.
2: All right, uh, and uh, April's uh, alluding to a radio show that we did. She was co-host with the great Atiba Buchanan, so i got to give a shout-out to Atiba, dear your friend of the show. Uh, and uh, he was asking me who, who I think is going to win re-election, and I went on a riff that every listener has heard me do many times. Of course, Lori life is going to win. She's mean and nasty, and that's what Chicago likes. I like a mayor who's mean and nasty. Yeah, because like, I think that's the word. Until she's mean and nasty to them, same old thing. Then they start sobbing. Um go- in terms of Miranda, by the way, I just thought of this. Uh, I don't even know if you know the answer. If you get Miranda says uh, you have the rights uh, to, uh, to not answer the questions and call a lawyer, all right? If they get rid of the obligation that police officers have to say that to you, do you still have the right to tell the police officer, I'm not talking to you until I talk to my lawyer? I'm not talking to you until I talk to attorney April Prayer?
0: Yeah, that 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 right will remain. The problem is people won't be notified. You know, you got to remember, first of all, in most arrests, at least in the Chicagoland area. So I can go broader than the city of Chicago. I can do all the suburbs. But I probably had cases in just about every one that it's a crapshoot whether the cop is going to read you your Miranda rights at all. And so and even in the situations where Miranda rights are read to people, still most people run their mouths because they figure I can talk myself out of this, it isn't that bad, or I only did this, I didn't do that. They don't realize that they're, talking, they're digging their own grace. And so with Miranda rights, the, the obligation of the officer to read from that preprinted card or from memory what your rights are, if that's taken off the table, your right will still remain, but then the question is who's going to notify you of your right? Are you relying on watching Criminal Minds or CSI? Because that'll probably be the only way that you know anything about it. So that's my concern. People don't exercise their right now. So now they won't exercise their right and they won't be told about it. So they can't even make an informed decision. All
2: right, let me bring in Dirty Harry because he is relevant uh, and to get response to this. So, Dirty Harry is a movie that came out in the early seventies, uh, starring uh, Clint Eastwood as this really tough cop named Harry Callahan, and he's going after a serial killer. I don't know if you ever saw this movie, uh, April, but it was had a huge impact on American culture back in the seventies. Uh, and so, the serial killer that he's going after has kidnapped a young woman and buried her, and she's going to die if, if Dirty Harry doesn't find her. And so, Dirty Harry. Uh, Uh, captures the criminal uh, and tortures him into telling him where the girl is. All right. So that's like the central premise of Dirty Harry. Eventually the criminal is let go because Dirty Harry violated his constitutional rights. And when that movie came out, that was in the middle of 72 law and order, Nixon, Richard J. Daly here in the city of Chicago, shoot to kill. Everybody's at these constitutional rights are just covering up the crimes, and the misdeeds of criminals who are devious and diabolical and know how to play the system. Real people who are innocent will not be abused by this. You only get abused uh, if you, if you're, um, like I said, an evil person who's taking advantage of the system. And that notion, that dirty Harry theme, April, is really take a root. It is as live in many ways today as it was in 1972. When that movie came out, that's a long time ago. And I, that's that Dirty Harry. I hear the echoes when Lori Lightfoot says uh, that you're guilty until proven innocent in uh, violent cases. Uh, when Richard Boykin says that uh, Tony Perkwinkle is just playing, pandering to the George Floyd crowd. Uh, I hear it all the time. I hear it. It's loud. The, the, the Republican candidates for governor are screaming it right now about Chicago is a hell, hell hole and uh, we got to clean it up. So talk about that. Do you ever feel uh, that sometimes there are too many protections? There are too many protections that protect violent people who know how to use the system and get out of jail instead of being locked away where they can't hurt anybody.
0: No, I absolutely don't. And, and how about this? And even if there were, If all those protections just protected the one innocent person, for me, it would be worth it. And so I think it's easier for people to wrap their heads around how unjust what's happening is if you attach it to a child. So I'll actually, this one actually wasn't on Lori Lightfoot's watch. There was a case in Waukegan a 15-year-old kid, it was about two months ago, who was snatched out of school. His mother didn't know where he was. He was dragged to the police station. He was actually in police custody for two days. Mother didn't know where he was. Nobody told her. And in that time, in the first few hours, he confessed to an attempt murder of shooting someone in the face. But he didn't do it. How do we know he didn't do it? Because he was 20 miles away at the exact time of the shooting. Everything's timestamped. There's a timestamp video of the shooting to the face. There's a timestamp video of him playing basketball 20 miles away in a game for his school with presumably a couple dozen witnesses. So how does a 15-year-old admit to a heinous crime like this that he didn't do? Well, that's the power of a veteran cop. Badgering you and saying, "We know you did it. We know you're the one. We know you're the shooter. We know we have you on video. We saw you do it." The kid, like, I can't win, so I'm going to say I did it. Now, when it's a 15-year-old, we're sympathetic. We're empathetic. We're like compassionate. Like, oh my God, yes, you must protect these kids' rights. I'll throw in that it was completely legal for cops to lie to minors in all 50 states until this past January. I'll throw that in, but. We're compassionate when it's a child. But when that same person is 25, same situation, or 35, or 45, we say things like he should have known better. But so no, there, there, there aren't enough protections. I, I would never be in a position to say that we have too many protections because of that one innocent person. If that kid did not have a perfect alibi, I'll tell you, he would have gone away for a very long time. And with that in mind, with Chicago being the false confession capital of the world, of it being the police uh, police misconduct, police violence capital of the world, I think that we have a lot of work to do and this tough on crime, like you said, it never works. Why does it never work? Because the violent criminals don't care what the sentencing range is. They don't care that it's 45 years minimum if you shoot somebody to death, as opposed to beating them to death with a, a bat might be 20, 20 years. They don't care. And so to keep increasing the sentencing range is not a deterrent. All it does is catch up the people who have done very minor things or who have done nothing at all, catches up, catches them in this web of this endless justice system that is corrupt and broken and needs to be burned to the ground.
2: All right. Uh, Nothing has changed since the last time on your show. You're just as passionate on this issue. Uh, One more time, everybody shut up, lawyer up. Uh, She's got that, by the way, trademark. I think every time I say it, uh, (laughs) she sends me a bill, April prayer does. (laughs) Uh, It just cracks me up, though. All right, April, uh, since you were on the show uh, last, you've uh, really taken off your second career in the media uh, as an observer of high-profile uh, cases, of and a whole bunch of them uh, that I have talked about with guests on the show, and I would love to take this opportunity um, to go through some of these cases and get your observations uh, as a passionate criminal defense lawyer, but also as citizen April, because uh, a lot of times there's, like the, there's the criminal defense lawyer part of April, and then there's April April, which is just like everybody else. You know what I mean? You got feelings, so. I'm just gonna start. Uh, there's three I want to talk about: Kyle Rittenhouse, Jesse Smollett, and Hurd, uh, and Johnny Depp. Why don't we start with Jesse Smollett? I thought we talked about this so much uh, on this show, and uh, with so many different people, all of whom work from the assumption that, of course, uh, Jesse Smollett uh, manufactured this crime. That there's absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind that uh, he did what he's been accused of, which is to fake uh, a mugging. A, uh, and so you watched the trial. You know more about what went down than any of us because you were there every day. So uh, what's your general take on the Jesse Smollett uh, case?
0: Well, my, uh, my very first thought is how the media framed it prior to the trial beginning. And at that time, both sides were under a gag order. And so the defense was never able to really lay out what their theory was, what their strategy was in the eyes of the media. And so even as the media coverage went Along during the nine day trial, there was always this just kind of understanding just he's a liar. He made it up. There was no room for anything else. And so that's that's what the first thing that struck me is how slanted it was and how there was an uphill battle for, you know, for them to pick fair jurors because this had been in the media. He's a liar. He made this up. Why would he create this hoax? And there was no room to say, well, maybe the two uh, Oshin Dairo brothers, were lying. Maybe the, that CPD was in cahoots with the ashton brothers. There was none of that narrative until we were actually in the courtroom. And a lot of that got lost because cameras weren't allowed in. And so the only way you could follow the trial, unless you were somebody like me who was physically present, was to read the tweets of reporters who were in the room. So that was my initial thought. But it was a very interesting case. The other thing is how much of a complete waste of money this is this has to be the most expensive disorderly conduct trial in probably US history, certainly in Illinois history. And how when I've had clients who with very with the same charge with very similar facts, it is not uncommon to a lot of cops by the way, at all. Just most people don't get charged and if they get charged, they're normally charged with a misdemeanor. So the clients I've had in a similar position as Jesse who were charged with felonies, their cases got reduced to misdemeanors and they were given community service. So the fact that this took so long and was so expensive and had so many resources involved was pretty outrageous when the end goal was really just to take down Kim Fox. It really had very little to do with I would say a a, a little known, um, what's it called, actor at the time. I had never heard of Jesse. I heard of of his sister before this, but I had never heard of him. I had never watched Empire. And so I don't think it's so much about his so-called celebrity as it was a great opportunity for Republicans to come for Kim Fox's head. And she left herself wide open for that to happen.
2: Oh, my God. Did she ever not just Republicans, Democrats. Don't forget yep. that uh, Rahm Emanuel, when it was one of the loudest uh, going after uh, he was com- at the end of his uh, uh, term in office as he was leaving, uh, and this, he had so much to say. He was so quiet about Laquan McDonald tape, but he had so much to say about this. All right. So you watched the trial. I heard your take just then. Uh, no ducking a dodging on this question. You sat through that trial, having sat through that trial and heard the evidence. Did you think mm-hmm. Jesse Smollett made up that incident?
0: Um, I would say my gut feeling was that he did, but I don't think that's what the state proved. Because when, you, when I listened to all the evidence, and, and there was, I'll say, some issue with us being able to see the entire trial, because the judge would let us in and then kick us out and let us in and then kick us out and let us in and then kick us out. And for that reason, Jesse will probably get a new trial, but that's another matter. For the parts that I saw, And for the conversations that I have with his team, because I know three of his attorneys, I thought that there was enough doubt there because when the two brothers testified, neither one could point to a so-called smoking gun. They cannot point to one text message. They cannot point to one incident that they could prove to show that Jesse was aware that they were going to jump him and beat him up. So obviously they jumped him and beat him up. They were on camera. They were the ones walking away from the scene. They were the ones caught going to and from that area. And and CPD did an excellent job of getting the surveillance cameras and all of that leading up to that moment. But there was nothing showing that Jesse was in on it. And everybody wanted to point to that check, meaning the prosecutors wanted to point to that check, Webb, But in the check, it says $3,500, and it also says that it was for fitness training, which is not an unusual amount to pay whether you're a celebrity or not for fitness training and a meal plan. So I didn't ever see how they tied it up. I didn't think the two brothers were credible witnesses. I don't think they presented well in court. They actually both came across as very unlikable. And it seems as though the younger brother was actually in a sexual relationship with Jesse and that maybe both sides were kind of trying to downplay that. Um, So it was very interesting. It was a very interesting trial to watch. And I I say probably, yeah, I probably got the feeling that Jesse might have been in on it, but I don't think the state ever proved that he was the third co-conspirator.
2: All right. I always thought uh, as soon as Dave Chappelle came out with that uh, comedy bit where he uh, made fun and mocked uh, Jesse Smollett or Juicy Smollett, I don't know if you ever saw it, uh, that that was it for Jesse Smollett, that there would be no sympathy whatsoever uh, for uh, Jesse Smollett uh, anywhere. You're as close as it comes to sympathy for Jesse Smollett, what you just said. <laughs> uh, I just got to tell you right now. Uh, but I. I've written it. I said it. I completely agree with you. Uh, this was an attempt um, to damage uh, Kim Fox. And I also have said this. You may disagree with me on this point. Kim Fox left herself wide open. The way she handled us at the outset was ridiculous. Uh, everything she's done since then has just sort of compounded it. And it just every time I think about it, uh, April, I just get so I don't know what the word is, but just like upset because there's a larger issue here of just keeping people out of jail for stuff that that's not worth sending them to jail for. And that mm-hmm. th- this has done so much damage. This case has done so much damage uh, to that notion. Uh, yeah,
0: there is yeah. an interesting issue there. I mean, there, it raised several interesting legal issues, like even double jeopardy. So this man was given a deal. He accepted the deal. He paid his whatever, 10000 5000 whatever he paid, as a result, was given um, a dismissal, walked out of court, and then some year and a half later, charges were brought against him again. Like, that that really damaged the trust that defendants have. Like, okay, so I'm agreeing to this plea. Are you going to come back and take it back later? Okay, I'm agreeing. I mean, it's not unusual at all for a state's attorney to say, okay, we're going to reduce the charge. If your guy goes and does community service, brings us a letter in, we will go ahead and dismiss the case. So is that, are we still good? Like, are you going to change the terms? Because that's considered pretty slimy and dirty and unethical. And I think there might be a real issue there. Regarding double jeopardy. So there are several issues. And like I mentioned, the other issue, which had nothing to do with Jesse's actions, is how the public was not allowed to continuously watch this trial. And it sounds like a very minor issue. Like I raised hell about it every day. I went live on my Justice Junkie page every single day of the trial, raising hell, talking about, OK, because I was every day I was the first person in court. I blocked off my whole schedule so that I could be there every day at 820 to get in the courtroom. And some days I could get in, some days I would get in and get kicked out. And they all pointed to COVID restrictions as the reason, which was BS, because the arbitrary I mean it was arbitrarily enforced. There were supposed to be fifty-seven people allowed in the courtroom, including the jury, including the alternates, including Jesse's team, the other side, the judge, you know, whatever. So it left like uh, and, and 21 slots for media. So it literally left two two slots for the general public. And so Mark Clements, who is a Burge torture survivor, and I were there. He was there almost every day, and we were the two. And we would get let in and pushed out and let in and pushed out. And then sometimes they would open the side door so we could hear. And other times they would open the front door. And so finally I complained to the chief judge, and on the fifth day she created an overflow room for us. But it is going to be grounds Appellate grounds for Jesse to get a brand new trial. Just because the public was barred from his hearing because it's his right, not ours, it's his right to have a public hearing to make sure that there is not misconduct, to make sure that it is transparent. And when only certain people are allowed in the room and others are excluded, that right is violated and he's entitled to a new trial.
2: Uh, Has he petitioned? I've not followed that uh, closely. Has Justice Smollett, through his lawyers, petitioned for a new trial based on the fact that people were excluded uh, from watching the first trial?
0: Yeah, it was part of their it was part of their post-trial motions and I attached an affidavit with, my, with the summary of my, because I, I documented everything. I wrote emails to Tim Evans. I wrote emails to Eric Riddick, who runs 26th Street. She's the chief judge there. And so all of that was attached. My name was mentioned, and the judge, you know, Judge Lynn slammed it down. But it will certainly be a part of the record for the uh, appeal, wow. and appeals take anywhere. I mean, pre-COVID, they took one one to two years, so God only knows how long they're taking now.
2: <laughs> this is absolutely insane that there's going to be another trial, uh, I don't know who's going to handle it. Are they going to bring out Dan Webb again for the second trial? Is he going to, we're going to pay him the fortune that we pay him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's absolutely
0: unimpressive, by the way. I mean, the great Dan Webb probably should have retired 20 years ago. He was very unimpressive. Very, very, very. So
2: <laughs> uh, Lawyer trash talking. <laughs> <laughs> April just throws Dan Webb under the bus.
0: It was awful. He didn't know how to do a cross examination or he forgot or this whole Wait, thing. Wait, time out, different. didn't he
2: handle the cross exams or did he have a, a, a an associate handle he the cross exam-
0: And another guy, I don't know his name. Um, you know, they pulled out their one black um attorney at their firm and he he was this co counsel and he was equally terrible. But they won, you know, so people tend to think that the best man wins, and that is absolutely not the case in criminal court. Uh,
2: I just want to say that the views and opinions of April Prayer do not necessarily reflect those of the Ben Jarovsky show. So, Dan Webb, her name is April Prayer, leave me alone. Uh, And uh, (laughs) Lori,
0: uh, too, I claim all my views uh, for Lori. uh, Well,
2: I mean, (laughs) (laughs) come on, Lori, like for you bamboozled me, you know you did. You were probably laughing the whole time. Uh, one of the dumbest votes I've ever made April. Um, all right, let's go down, uh, move on to Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, man, I have so many feelings about this. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse every now and then tweets something out. He, I I guess he, (laughs) it's so twisted. What a weird, what a weird, uh, culture we have. Like he feels that he's somehow or other been so vindicated that he's now in a position to like, Uh, weigh in on other things. And the other one who does this all the time, I don't know if you know it, is OJ. OJ, weighing in. I don't know if you saw, people sent it to me. I cannot look at OJ, okay? Don't send me OJ stuff. But OJ uh, weighing in on the January 6th insurrection hearings, uh, It's like three minutes of a diluted nutcase OJ. Anyway, uh, so Kyle and OJ got a lot in common. Uh, But um, anyway, Kyle Rittenhouse, you follow that uh, case uh, very closely as well. Take it away, April.
0: I did. So initially, so I was on News Nation. I was on ABC. I was on, I I think I was on Kurt TV, too. But anyway, we talked about Rittenhouse as the trial was going throughout. And so I, I, I like to teach. And so I would explain to people, I would break it down into two different scenes. So one, And I don't remember anybody's name anymore except for Rosenblum. So I think that was the first person he en- encountered and then he left that interaction and then had an encounter with two other people. And so in terms of textbook criminal law his interaction with Rosenbloom was not self defense why because Rosenbloom was not armed Kyle Rittenhouse says that he lunged at the gun and that he thought in his mind this man would take the gun and not only use it on him, but use it on other people. That's all fiction. Like, like In court, we call that speculation. You can't jump inside the other person's head. I thought he was going to become a serial killer and he was going to kill us all. No, you were armed. He was not. There's no way. In general, force needs to match force. In in a self defense claim, so either we're in a bar fight and we're both using our fists. If you grab a bottle, you just raise the ante, and it's no longer even. So for him to have an assault rice rifle and for this other man to have nothing, that was murder. And then when he left that incident and had killed that man and ran off, and then the guy with the skateboard and the other guy with the pistol confronted him. Guess what? They have their own right, one, to self-defense, but they have a right to defend others. So at that juncture, they were absolutely justified in trying to take that weapon from Kyle. So they just, he just murdered somebody. He just shot somebody. We absolutely have the, the right to take that person down. It's no different than in the Waffle House killing where the guy came in naked, shot four people, and then the hero confronted him, wrestled the gun from him, took it away, and everybody you know, touted him as such. Oh, he's a hero. This is wonderful. This is amazing. These two gentlemen were doing the exact same thing, trying to take something from the hands of someone who has an assault rifle, who's not just a threat, but has just killed somebody with it. They had a right to do so. But in this case, they were vilified. Why? Because they were associated with Black Lives Matter protesters. Even though they weren't Black, they were associated with Black Lives Matter protesters, and therefore their lives, get, get this, didn't matter.
2: Well, I'll take it one step further. Uh, I did this with you on the phone and get your reaction to this publicly. Uh, I think there was uh, tremendous hostility toward them because they were white people uh, who clearly felt very passionate about Black Lives Matter. That's kind of the weird situation we're in as a country right now. And they were radicals and Antifa or whatever they were, you know, Uh, and there's a hatred. Your mother said, don't say you hate anybody, but your mother, a lot of people in this country don't listen to your mother. There's a lot of hatred in America today. And I'm, I'm like, by the way, your mom, I'm with her. I really try April. I'm gonna just confess this right now. I really try not to say I hate, like even the Warriors. I cannot stand the Golden State Warriors. But I'm like, I, when I, when I'm texting my friends, like, oh, I hate, I hate, I don't don't say you hate the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> say you really don't like the Golden State Warriors. They're so <laughs> smug and arrogant. They think they invented the game of basketball. But you know, but you so, but there is so much hatred out there, and I think that the hatred for what for who those. Uh, the people, the victims, represent. They wouldn't even let them call victims. Remember, old judge didn't let them call them victims. Uh, yes. It to that hatred is so palpable. I believe that's what rode uh, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, to that acquittal. Your thoughts?
0: I agree. I I mean, I agree. So I was on, like I said, mentioned I was on ABC News, like right after the verdict, and right after the verdict, I called Rao Kyle, I'm sorry, Kyle, a serial killer on live TV. And so as a result of that, the next day, oh, 20,000 Trumpsters came and found me on my Justice Junkie page and, you know, wrote all kinds of nasty things they like to do to me in my comments and in my inbox. And, you know, in the comments I heard the most were poor baby. Uh, referring to him poor baby kyle was just a defenseless child or they would call him a hero and i think that in large and then they would talk about the criminal histories of the two people who were killed and i agree with you i think that they saw those white folks as traitors like you've left the tribe you are no longer one of us You are over there defending them and therefore you deserve your fate. And that was the sentiment I got from all the comments that I could actually stomach on my page because all of them were pretty despicable. But yeah, I I totally agree with that. I think it's they were no longer I mean, they were despised because you're no longer one of us.
2: By the way, uh, how do you respond? I'm curious. Like you're open you, and you, you put out that you call them a serial killer. 20,000 folks. Just think about that. 20,000 responses. On one hand, I know April, there's part of you that's like, wow, I really hit touched the nerve. People know who I am. On the other hand, it's scary as all hell. You know, 20,000 lunatics. So how do you respond? Do you ignore? What do you do?
0: I did a little bit all of it. So what happened was the next day I did, a I do a lot of live videos. So I did a live video and I wasn't even talking about the facts of the case. What I was talking about is because Kyle won, that defendants of all races are now going to think they have these ridiculous self-defense claims where they don't. And I was joking saying that my colleagues and I already receiving the phone calls because we were. People who, you know, had a gun and shot somebody who was unarmed. Oh, yeah, I'm going to trial. I got a self-defense claim. If Kyle won, so can I. So that's what the video was about. And I went into dance class and came back and had, I think I had about, 8,000 comments then. And by the next day I had like 80,000 views and about 20,000 of them were coming from my head. So I initially freaked out. I tried to block as many people as I could. And that obviously got away from me. And then I eventually turned the comments off, but then they called my office They got into my, some emailed me, some sent me DMs on Facebook. And like I said, I have multiple pages. Some people found me on Instagram. People are quite, quite creative and innovative when they want to get to you. And then I had several people texting me saying, if you are not a concealed carry um, holder, I will take you to the range because you need to be armed. So that was how I dealt with it is, you know, complete overwhelm. And then I just got to the point where I was like, these people are crazy. I can't convert them, and it is what it is. Yeah. So I just, you know, when they they still come follow, they followed me for months as a result of that, and I would have to turn the comments off on my videos um, or block as many people as I could.
2: Yeah, wow. I just hope uh, Justice Clarence Thomas is listening because he was sobbing a little while ago about how things, just people are so mean to him and his wife. Uh, <laughs> Maga MAG MAGA, Maga is always crying. And I'm going to tie it all together, okay? But one of the reasons why I dislike the Warriors, I didn't say, hey, dislike the Warriors so much. They're always sobbing. You ever look at a Warrior? They never foul anybody. They always, Draymond Green cries. St- Steve Kerr, the coach, always crying, sobbing. But you know what, Matt? Uh, Warriors, you're not nearly as bad as MAGA. You say one that nasty thing to MAGA, they <laughs> The crocodile tears. They're poor. Meanwhile, they're threatening April uh, prayer for just expressing her First Amendment protector rights. Her thoughts. Interesting, MAGA. Well,
0: and that's the thing. I was, I, like I said, I spent most of my time just explaining. Okay, this is what self-defense is. This is what self-defense isn't. Like, not even in terms of this, Kyle did this right or Kyle did this wrong. And people, I mean, I just call him a serial killer. But... <laughs> Prior to that, I still was getting a backlash of people saying, you don't know what you're talking about. Look, lady, I've been doing this 22 years. I absolutely know. I've done thousands of cases. What are you talking about?
2: Let's break. Why is he a serial killer?
0: Because he killed more than one person.
2: Is that the only definition of a serial killer? Because people in their minds think serial they think John Wayne Gacy. They think...
0: He killed one person. He happened to do it in rapid succession. But yeah, serial is one, two. You kill two people.
2: All right. Uh that's uh sums it all up. All right, let's uh put Kyle Rittenhouse uh behind us for the moment. I found that the whole conversation very triggering in an upsetting way, as my millennial friends like to tell me, triggering. Uh and let's go to Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. I will hold back my thoughts on this because I really love to hear your thoughts (laughs) about court time being turned over uh, to Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Go ahead.
0: I just thought it was fascinating. I thought it was fascinating because ultimately, I I mean, you know, they had pretty wild shenanigans, wild stories. and You know, they're, they're wealthy Hollywood types. And but I just thought the entire thing was fascinating. I thought it was amazing how Johnny rolled up. I think it was the second to, day last, second to last day of trial with his radio blaring, playing reggae music, and got out the car like he was walking into a rock concert. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. But ultimately, it was a, it was a state court uh, criminal domestic battery case. At its core, like if you pull away everything else, did she defame him? Did, did she write this in a newspaper? Was she talking about him? Ultimately, it was what I see in criminal court and have seen in criminal court for years. And because of that, the minute Amber opened her mouth, I knew she was lying. Why? Because she, to me, based on my experience, came across as a abuser. She came across as the abuser. And just the things that she said and the things that he said and their demeanor, little things he said, like he would hide in the bathroom. I've had so many guy friends tell me that like, look, I hide in the bathroom when she's throwing pots in my head because I know that if 911 gets called, the police are going to take me and assume that I'm the abuser. So just things like that, like he would get an extra room to hide in from her. And her demeanor how she would look at the jury, how she would look at him. It's just not consistent with the actual victims I've seen. And what I was fascinated by was most people don't believe there are female abusers. The assumption in the criminal justice system is the man is always the attacker because he's bigger, because he's stronger. Even if he's not bigger, hes it's presumed that he's stronger. So to see a case about A person who actually on many recordings admitted, well, yeah, I slapped you. I didn't hit you. I slapped you. You were slapped. You weren't punched. You know, and then would would go to him and say, yeah, man up. You're not a man. You're being a baby. I was like, oh, my God. Like, if this was coming from a man, there would be no question that this person was abusive. But because it's a pretty white girl we assumed that she could not have possibly abused this man and i thought that one clip where she says go ahead johnny tell the world that you a white man are being abused and see who believes you i thought that summed up the whole case so it was a fascinating watch for me her she seemed like she was always on stage she seemed like she was doing some very bad acting whereas he's like yeah i'm a drug addict i'm a i'm a <laughs> I'm a drug. I got all these problems, but he seemed a lot more sincere and genuine. And like he was putting on less of a show than she was. All
2: right. Uh, they're all actors. He's a better actor than her. I just want to point out. So uh, you could have been as uh bamboozled by Johnny Depp as I was by Lori Lightfoot. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Uh, and, and what do you make of the fact that uh, tying the two together before we uh, close out the show, man, April, I could talk to you forever. Uh, but what do you uh, make of the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse uh, chimed in on Johnny Depp's uh, behalf when it was all over? Going, Yeah, Johnny, I can feel you, man. I'm with you. I'm, <laughs> what do you make of that?
0: <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, I've, I, I, Okay. Going through any trial as a defendant, as a party, as even a witness is trying and you feel like you walk away with some lessons. So I will give him all of that. It probably was an experience that he feels like, okay, I learned a few things about how court works and maybe I can, you know, give some words of wisdom to somebody else. But that's kind of where that ends. Like for him to be given legal commentary on how Johnny presented or how strong Johnny's case is just seems really ridiculous. I'm concerned that we've attached this level of celebrity to this then 17 year old person who took two lives is very problematic. Whether you want to call him a serial killer, like I did or not, I think it's problematic I think it's problematic that he's been given access and that he's been given all these privileges and opportunities that he's been given as a result of this, that people are still deeming him to be a hero. I think all that is problematic. And I think he needs to just go have several seats. And, you know, he'll eventually run for Congress, too. But, you know, give it a few years. go sit down somewhere and let things quiet down.
2: All right. Very good. Uh, I kind of agree with you on that point. Uh, All right, we'll close it down. I love throwing curveballs at guests. So I I did not tell uh, uh, April that I was going to ask her this question but this popped up in my head when I was asking another question. So I wrote it down. So we're going to close with this. And this is a mini obsession of mine. Uh, April, I get these obsessions. Uh, so I don't really talk about this one a lot because not a lot of people share this particular obsession, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway. So uh, we already alluded to the fact that uh, Roe v. Wade is probably going to be uh, annihilated any day now. They'll re- the Supremes will release the decision. We Why do I say that? Because we, we saw drafts. Somebody leaked a draft of a decision that annihilates Roe v. Wade says women no longer have the uh, reproductive rights anywhere in the country, no constitutional uh, protection of privacy. Can't have a private conversation with your doctor. The state can determine what a doctor says to you, what a nurse says to you. Okay. MAGA, just think about that MAGA with next time the, the, the state comes and asks you, that tells you they want to make you take the vaccine. So, all right. And um, so we already know it's coming now. When, uh, when the story broke and political ran it, I think it was political, yeah, got the leaked uh, uh, decision, the right, MAGA, their response uh, to avoid getting into the issues of abortion was outrage at the leaker. And what a tremendous violation this is of the protocol, the sacred sanctity of the Supreme Court. How dare they leak this, okay? Uh, I have always believed that the leak came from the right, not from the left, that that was a smokescreen that MAGA threw out there uh, to divert uh, attention from uh, their culpability. If I'm wrong, eventually we'll find out. One way, one day we will find we found out who Deep Throat is, so we're going to find this out one day. I will say, you know what, I, I was wrong, but that's where I stand on the issue. Attorney, April, prayer. Who do you believe leaked that document, the left or the right?
0: Huh. I actually never gave any thought to that. I just honestly, I just assumed it was the left. I assumed it was a law clerk who was or I should say a judicial clerk who leaked it. Um, but like you said, we shall see. I thought it was. I don't know. Yeah, I just assumed it was the left. But that makes sense that it could be from somebody from the right to use it as a smokescreen.
2: Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying I'm, I'm looking at Ginny uh, Thomas as a key potential suspect. Just throwing that out there, Ginny Thomas. His wife. Uh, she would have had it. Just say They always throw the clerk. It was a clerk.
0: <laughs> Man. Well, I'm waiting for her name to come up in the January 6th stuff, and I haven't heard it yet, so I'm a little bit frustrated. So I'll keep watching those hearings, too, to see what happens.
2: Yeah, they. Uh, she clearly was behind the scenes uh, e- uh, texting or emailing or what have you trying to fire everybody up uh, to um, prevent Joe Biden from being declared the winner of that election, man, it's so deep, uh, April, you know uh, like that's, I mean, I, I'd never thought I would live to see like an attempted coup in the United States. And that's what that was. <laughs> and, and, you know, like rough close to 50% of the country doesn't care. They just wanted it to be successful. And I'm not quite sure what to say. You know, they talk about law and order. We began by talking about law and order, you know, Boykin talking about law and order. You know, like what about that law? What about that order? I just, I don't know what to say. Well, like you
0: said at the beginning is when it doesn't apply to us, whoever the us is, as long as it doesn't apply to us, it's fine. So law and order applies to, you know, Those thugs, those super predators in the neighborhood, it applies to the carjackers. It applies to those bad black kids. It doesn't apply to upstanding white citizens who were upset and who wanted to voice their concerns to, to, (laughs) to the legislators about what was happening on January 6th and in large part, they won't be held responsible. Most of them have been charged with misdemeanors. Most yeah. of them are getting 30 days in jail, if that. So law and order seems to still be on their side.
2: Yeah, so deep, man. And I got to tell you, uh, uh, one of the coaches for the Washington football team got in trouble uh, because he dismissed the significance, uh, uh, Jack Del Rio is his name, uh, he dismissed the significance of the January 6th insurrection and said, why, why aren't people investigating the, uh, the riots, uh, the looting of the summer of 2020? I honestly think that's funny. Like, what exactly, I- I'm all for investigating. I-, I love, like, getting at the truth. But, April, just think about it. So what truth are we trying to determine? Uh, how police handle it? Uh, whether what there was some kind of connection between legitimate Black Lives Matter protests and riots, uh, what, what the police response to it, Donald Trump's response to it, uh, I'm I'm just trying to understand what what are did the the people who were arrested did they get off you know or, I mean were they treated uh more courteously, you know what I mean? Where there are cases, I see no evidence of that, by the way. You know what I'm saying? If like, you were arrested for looting in the summer 2020, I believe you, you've you been treated with, a, uh, you've been jailed. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what do they want investigated? Help me with this one. What is there to well, be I, investigated?
0: I think that each state did their own investigation here. They certainly did an investigation, and I represented at least one of the so-called looters and this particular defendant was arrested. I think there were five of them together and the court was showing them no mercy. I'm like, they, they didn't even take anything. Like they weren't even caught with merchandise in their hands. They were just kind of caught standing in, in the store with the broken glass. They didn't even break the glass out. And so I think these were investigated, you know, depending on the resources of the particular jurisdiction where it happened. But I think the two are like apples and oranges because when the Capitol was stormed, People died. And if that had happened in any one of these cities where people died, whether you were the person who caused that person's death or you were standing next to them or you were 2,000 people away from them, guess what? You would have all been charged with felony murder. And so I think it's it's a distinct difference when people have lost their lives and it was a government structure that was under attack, not the beauty supply store on 79th street. Like I think the two are very different. I mean, you had Congress people hiding, (laughs) hiding. You had people in there talking about hang, hang Mike Pence. Where is he? Drag him out here and had a noose ready to go. Like we are talking about totally different things about people who ran into some stores and grabbed some cell phones and ran out as opposed to people who stormed the Capitol arm talking about where is Nancy Pelosi? Yeah. <laughs> like we're not looking to have tea with her. We're looking <laughs> to take her head off too. Yeah. So I think they're, they're uh, very different. And the fact that only 800 people, and I just get disgusted every time I hear that number, only 800 and something people have been charged when clearly from any video you see, there were thousands there and those thousands got to crawl back to wherever they live in the United States so they can plot a second attempt is very disturbing to me. And that's the real issue. And that's why I'm excited about watching these hearings to see what the truth is. Because like, you know what I mean? While well, I was going to say, like you, I want to get to the truth. In, in a court of law, really the truth doesn't matter. I tell people that all the time. Nobody cares what the truth is. Not the judge, not the prosecution, not me. It's who tells the best story. So I at least want to see what story is presented mm-hmm. during these hearings when they hit TV. Yeah.
2: All right, April, uh, I love talking to you. It's so much fun, and I can't let so much time go. It was way too much time in between meetings. And thank you again, Atiba, for uh, reuniting uh, April and myself. April, you referred to it a couple times, your uh, Justice Junkie page. Uh, Tell folks if they want to follow you, uh, how do they uh, get a hold of Justice Junkie?
0: All right, so you can go to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and go to Justice Junkie, and I spell it a little differently, because there's a saying, there is no justice, there's just us, so it's J-U-S-T-U-S, J-U-N-K-I-E, again, J-U-S-T-U-S, J-U-N-K-I-E, and what I do is daily... Reels, one minute reels to break down different parts of criminal law into terms that a fifth grader can understand so that the courts can no longer keep us at arms length, no longer throw fancy Latin terms at us. So we don't understand when it's our fate that is at issue.
2: Oh man. You just said that it triggered One of my fate brought back one of my favorite courtroom. I'm a courtroom movie junkie. Okay. And I read, uh, well, I read a lot of John Grisham. But Philadelphia, I don't know, it could be for your time. Denzel, young Denzel plays a uh, trial lawyer and uh, he goes, so, we, <laughs> he would always say, say that so a 10 a year old can understand or an eight year old. I forget which one it is. He always act really dumb. You know, just tell me that. So a 10 year old can understand. I remember Denzel doing that.
0: Yeah, you got to write. If you like courtroom dramas, watch The Lincoln Lawyer, the series. Oh, are you kidding me? I read the book. I watched the TV show. I seen the Matthew McConaughey movie three
2: times. Just watched it. Have you seen the movie or you just seen the TV show?
0: I've seen the movie and the series. And I would say that's the most realistic of the ones I've seen. Which one, the
2: TV show or the movie? Both. Okay. That
0: they are they they do the most justice to how the system actually works. Oh
2: my God! though I love the Lincoln lawyer, ladies and gentlemen. I call him the Lincoln lawyer. Why? Because he doesn't have a law office. He operates his business out of the back seat of a Lincoln, which is driven yeah. by one of his clients who's too broke to pay him off. So he or she is like an indentured servant, paying off the legal fee. April's got a few uh, drivers like that, I think, uh, paying off the legal. <laughs> Just kidding.
0: I wish Lincoln <laughs> lawyer.
2: Great oh, man. Shout out Michael Connelly, the writer of it. Uh, and, uh, Matthew McConaughey kills it in the movie. He is so cool. Uh, yes. all right. Uh, April, thank you so much. Appreciate this. And, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. All right, that's a great April prayer. Uh, justice, Just Us Junkie, check it out on Instagram. I know we're going to start following her uh, as soon as this show is over. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of Joe of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Clarence Thomas, Ginny Thomas, and April Prayer will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for De marvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody.